How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So often our minds and hearts seek answers that elude our intellect, while some of the greatest achievements of our fathers in the faith have come from the great quest of faith-seeking understanding, using reason to lovingly contemplate divine truths. There are many genuine mysteries that remain shrouded from our understanding, deliberately hidden us, hidden from us by our God. This same search for certainty occurs also in our daily lives. It can frustrate us, even driving us to fear or anger. Why did this tragedy befall me? Why did my spouse respond to me with that tone? Why did my child lie to me? What does my coworker really think of me? So many situations which our Lord's same loving providence has chosen to veil from our immediate understanding. These nascent occasions of fear and resentment result from our overpowering desire for knowledge of and power over our surroundings and the people in our lives. We are in fact distressed often, not so much by a failure, as that such an outcome ran contrary to our will and the image we proudly project of ourselves. We are often offended by another yes, but not because of an offense to the common good, but because our neighbor has contradicted our own particular will. The life of a Christian, however, is not a life of domination and control, but of sacrifice, self-denial, of trust in our God. Divine providence deliberately leaves many imperfections in ourselves and in our neighbors. And our Lord and God often veils events and motivations before us so that we might not walk in the pride of life, but rather by the light of faith. For we need to be saved, yes. It is not in vain that our Lord commanded St. Joseph to give to our infant king the name of Savior, for indeed he is, but he alone is. The urgency of our surrender to our infant king and the urgency of his divine work of our salvation are brought to the fore in a particular way by the blessed feast we commemorate today. We have seen that our Lord Jesus Christ has become man. In his loving providence, he has chosen to do so by assuming our human nature from the Blessed Virgin Mary. He has chosen to be born thus to a particular nation at a particular time to assume its customs. Indeed, in today's gospel, we see him fulfilling his yearly religious duty of going to Jerusalem for Passover with his parents. Our Lord has chosen to resemble us in all things, even the nature of our human social relations. In the heart of that primitive domestic church, God assumes a human family as a pure image of the divine family, of which he is already a part from all eternity, the holy and most blessed Trinity. However, providence wishes to reveal something particular to us this Sunday by pulling back the veil on this blessed life of the infancy and growth of our blessed Lord, of his 30 years of preparation for his comparatively short public ministry of three years. And this is the only episode that the eternal wisdom 
has wished to reveal us to us with the certainty of divine revelation. At the age of 12, the Christ child quickly growing into the man whose divine blood will redeem the world, accompanies our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph to Jerusalem for the great feast. As the holy parents return intermingled with the caravan of fellow family members and pilgrims, it quickly becomes apparent that the Christ child is not with them. Three mystical days of an agonizing search beset the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the purest heart of Joseph, until at last, crossing the threshold of the temple, they see the divine child in the midst of the doctors of the law, amazing them by his questions and the wisdom of his answers. These three days, says St. Ambrose, are a prefiguration of the three days in the tomb after our Savior will have suffered his saving passion. So soon after the Feast of Christmas, then, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is not merely a shadow anymore, but already a, already a pressing and urgent reality before our eyes. Our Blessed Mother lets escape from her sorrowful heart the cry of a mother in anguish. Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The great origin tells us they did not find him among their relatives, for natural kinship could not have the Son of God, who is superior to all human knowledge and science in its midst. So where do they find him? In the temple. If you also wish to seek the Son of God, seek him first in the temple, hasten to enter in. There you will find Christ, the word and wisdom of the Father, that is, the Son of God." End quote. Christ did not come into our midst, assuming our human nature and taking upon himself our very sins in a crude philanthropic quest for a vain solidarity with our race. Everything Christ assumes, everything he touches, he elevates and purifies by his passing. The, the nations of the earth will not be the same if they let Christ reign therein. Our commerce and learning will not be the same if Christ illumines our minds and desires. And our families will not merely be human if they gather under the tree of life that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ does not merely enter into our lives, but wishes to elevate them, by what does he sanctify that domestic church, the family? What does the Holy Family demonstrate about our Christian vocation and baptism? What does Christ bring back with him to Nazareth from the temple? The answer is no less than his priesthood. As Origen says, we can only find the Son of God if we seek him first in the temple, because his blessed life is consumed by the great sacrifice that he is impatient to offer to the glory of his Father. As he himself will later say, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Christ descends to Nazareth, yes, to live in humble obedience to his parents, 
but his sacred heart had remained and indeed never truly leaves the temple. His priestly heart burns constantly with the spirit of sacrifice, and it is this same spirit which he places at the heart of our human families on this sacred day. As I said, there is much in our human lives, and especially in the seemingly mundane or monotonous moments of daily family life, that frustrates us, that confuses us, that contradicts our hopes, but above all, our self-will. The key to human happiness is not to see our will imposed and obeyed, above all in the life of our Christian families, but to nail our proud self-will to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are all, without exception, sons and daughters of the revolutionary anti-Christian spirit that permeates our age like a noxious fog. We may think otherwise, but we too are prone, like our poor contemporaries, to place our comfort and our will before the explicit rights of God enunciated in his law, and also before the evangelical law of divine charity that we must obey in our relations with one another, especially with our parents, our spouses, our children. We must each ask ourselves if the family of which we are blessed to be a part or the idea of a family we someday wish to found is not instead grounded by our fault in selfishness, worldly pride and greed, disobedience and infidelity. Today the Holy Family is reunited in the temple. Likewise, our Christian families can only stay united at the foot of the cross by the priestly virtues of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must reject the anti-Christian lies of this age in all of their forms. Happiness is not synonymous with autonomy. Happiness is not proportionate to power and a paycheck. The yoke of our Lord is only easy and light if we willingly embrace it, only if we deny ourselves if we deny our desire for mere human wealth, success, and esteem, only if we deny our disordered desires for mere bodily pleasure. As G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The essence of this ideal is self-denial, willing the good above our own good, willing the good of our spouse, our children, our parents, or our future spouse, for the love of Christ our Lord, and being willing in all things to die to ourselves for their sake. We need to take care that when we are tempted to anger and frustration against our loved ones, within our family or in the family we wish to found, we indeed must ask whether or not this anger and frustration springs not from a heart that loves its family, but because we have loved a projection of our own self-will. We have loved our own will, not sought to consider, to understand, and to obey the true person worthy of love before us, be he or she a parent, a spouse, a child, or a future spouse. Christ can only be found in the temple, in the spirit of sacrifice. It is indeed blood that binds our families, yes, 
but not merely human blood. It is the precious blood of our God and King, our Sovereign High Priest. It is His blood that cleanses and binds our Christian families. The path to true peace in our homes begins with His priestly heart in the temple, but it leads us all inevitably to Calvary and the cross. The cross is only heavy when we refuse to bear it willingly. As we look already toward the great mysteries of our redemption, as we progress through the liturgical year, let us, by our faithful sacrifices, leave to our hearts, together with the Sacred Heart, there in the Father's house, there at the foot of the cross in the temple. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.